Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, English teacher and school principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at at Sarah S.A. Johnson. Be sure to subscribe to the In Awe Podcast so you can join me each week as I feature women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. All right, my friends, have I got a conversation filled with inspiration, hope, and conviction to share with you today. Continuing on our journey this month in the Pathfinder series, we are hearing stories from inspiring women who have courageously found their own paths in this world. Our guiding quote for the month is that we cannot... We must take time to define our own path too quickly. We can find the world defining it for us. Today's guest is an exquisite example of defining her own path and paving the way for others. Salma Hussein is a Somali-American who has called Minnesota home since migrating from Somalia in 1995. She currently serves as an assistant principal at Central Senior High School in St. Paul. Salma is deeply committed to social justice and is active in the Minnesota community, working intentionally to create community and connection. Salma draws on her own experiences as an immigrant and her work with her students and their families to work with administrators and staff to create strong homeschool partnerships. In May 2019, Salma presented an ed talk that drew on her own experiences as an immigrant and her work with students and their families. In her talk, she shared how creating strong homeschool partnerships, celebrating diversity, and building authentic relationships are vital for student success. In this episode, we discuss Sama's path through school as a child in an immigrant family fleeing civil war in her home country to her current role as an assistant principal at a high school, her experiences in serving all youth and her passion for equity, and we get to hear where Sama's path is currently headed as she continues to use her voice and take up space as she words it. I am thrilled to be able to have had this conversation with a deeply inspiring person and leader. After watching Selma's inspirational leadership on social media, I knew there would be a profound mission in her message, and I feel so honored to be able to share with you today Selma Hussein's Pathfinder story. Welcome, Selma Hussein, to the In Awe Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show and have this awesome conversation with you today. Welcome. Thank you so much. So, Salma, we have you featured on um, a series that I think is going to be really powerful to share your story. But before we get into that, would you do me a favor and just share a little bit about your current context so that the listeners can get to know you a little bit better? Definitely. Uh, first of all, thank you so much, Sarah, for this opportunity. You are someone that I look up to. Um, I love your Twitter feeds and the way in which you use the platform. Uh, currently, I am reciting in... Um, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I am a high school assistant principal uh, and really, really enjoying the work of cultivating joy and connection and healing for um, every single member of uh, my school community. I love that that's your current (laughs) context and I can't wait to talk about your path a little bit. And I appreciate your kind comments because that's how you and I got connected. Um, And you probably wouldn't know this, but I'm actually a Minnesota native. So it's just kind of always fun to be connected with Minnesota educators because my whole professional life has been over here in Wisconsin, but obviously growing up in a different, you know, in your state where you are now is really kind of fun to see all kinds of context coming out. Yeah. I did not know that connection existed, but uh, I'm glad that you shared that. Yeah, it's fun. And, uh, and I always love that you post these beautiful pictures of your children and you're so inspiring in so many different ways. So I can't wait to unpack your story a little bit today. So let's talk a little bit about your 
path. We have you featured here on the series on Pathfinders. And I reached out to you specifically because one of the things that I've seen is a beautiful article I was able to just read. And I'm so deeply inspired by your path and the mission that you live and how you serve so well. Um, so what I'd like to do, if we, if you wouldn't mind, is just kind of start out in regard to your, um, what led you to your current role as an assistant principal, and maybe we can meander from wherever you'd like. Definitely. Um, so my story begins in uh, Mogadishu, Somalia. Uh, I was born in 1988. Uh, feels like a long, long time ago. And uh, I lived in Somalia for about the first three years of my life. And then the Civil War broke out in Somalia. Um, my family escaped to neighboring Kenya. And the whole time that we were in Kenya, my mom and dad worked really, really hard to get us uh, a second chance at life. And that meant coming to America. Um, and so I have been in America since 96. I first arrived in North Carolina because my aunt, um, who is also my cousin, um, she sponsored us and she resided in North Carolina, but we realized that we needed to move to be closer to my mom and sister. Um, the Something that I share with a lot of immigrant uh, is the splitting of families. Um, we didn't have the opportunity to move to America together as a family. My mom and sister first arrived to Minnesota, and then a year later, we had the opportunity to come and we were in North Carolina we had conversations about where home would be, and Minnesota just seemed like the right place. Uh, there was a growing Somali community in Minnesota, um, and I went through public education, learned English by watching Barney and Arthur on TV. <laughs> and of course, also, I give a lot of credit to my ESL teachers who really saw me for who I am and really believed in my potential. So I went through schooling, never really having educators that look like me or people that look like me in leadership. And I've always been really quiet, Sarah. I've always just encouraged myself to take up more space. Um, so I went through my educational experience, not having people that look like me, um, went to the University of Minnesota, almost flunked out of the U of M because I didn't have that support, that connection. Um, my advisors were really good people but they had a very large caseload. So they didn't really have the time to invest time and energy into unpacking who I am and what my passions and drives were and what my strengths were. Um, so I struggled, but then through um, connecting with different people, I found a program that was much smaller at the University of Minnesota where I was able to get that support from my uh, advisor, Josh. And Josh really helped me figure out what my strengths were, which is in leadership um, and public health and young people. I love youth work. Um, I was able to transition into getting my master's in social work because I went to one information session where they talked about creating a just society. And I said, yes, that's what I am about. That's what I want to contribute to. So I went into social work, Sarah, um, worked at the University of Minnesota, cultivating success for first generation kiddos, and then realized that I really wanted to um, have an impact in K-12 education. An opportunity opened up for me to become a high school social worker. Um, and it was such a, a great joy to be able to create programming for young people like bicultural talks where I was able to use my network to uh, bring in professionals who speak different languages, who are from different backgrounds to show every single young person that success that looks like them, that they can be successful, that they can thrive. Um, and then it was 
during that time that I connected with my assistant principal, I went into her office one day. Her name is Mercedes, and she's so awesome. She had a, a copy of Brene Brown, Daring Greatly, and the cover was just so colorful, Sarah. So I asked her, can I borrow this coffee, not really knowing how it would change my life? I read the book from cover to cover, and uh, I think it took me a while to give it back to Mercedes. So she said, you know what, Selma, you can keep that coffee. I've ordered another coffee for, uh, for myself. So I kept the coffee, fell in love with it, and then realized that what I was taking away from that book around shame and guilt I realized that I wanted every single high school um, um, young person to know the difference between the two because language matters. Shame is I am bad and guilt is I did something bad. And I didn't want any student, especially students of color, to identify with um, the hardships that they were experiencing and to um, connect their worth to that. Um, so I have a little funny, um, really powerful, actually, experience with Brene Brown. When I saw how transformational that book was, I reached out to her people asking for um, 20 copies of the book for a girls group that I was doing. And they actually mailed me 20 copies of Brene Brown, uh, Daring Greatly. So that created the tradition when I was a high school social worker to gift 20 of our high school students with their own personal copy of Daring Greatly. And uh, since that opportunity, I've been able to reach back to my networks and ask people to donate. And people were more than happy to uh, donate a copy of that transformational book for our young leaders to have. Um, to lean on and to learn from so they can know that they are enough uh, and that they are success at their current um, place and uh, experience. That's so awesome. And <laughs> there's so much there that I want to unpack with you. But knowing my listeners know what a huge fan uh, I am of Brené Brown because I probably quote her every third episode, if not <laughs> more often. So that's amazing. And I love that this colorful book led you down this intensely beautiful path. Because what I heard you say um, was that you discovered a lot of your own healing in that process. And you're talking about the difference between shame and guilt. And the fact that you're able to turn that into something really special for your youth is fantastic. Um, I can see why people saw leadership in you in that way. And I can also see why you connect so well with Brené Brown's work. I mean, the social work aspect of it is huge, I'm sure. Yeah. That's awesome. And then one thing that I wanted to go back to, because I find your story so fascinating, and I don't want to go uh, far away without talking about this a little bit. Listeners, I'm going to make sure that you know that I have linked in the show notes uh, an Ed Talk that Selma did for... Um, educators in Minnesota, where you talked about your experience and this piece about uh, your passion to serve first generation um, students yeah, who have who come from immigrant families is really, really powerful. And one of the things that I wanted to mention is how powerful it is that your message is that representation matters. And yet here you are blazing the path for yourself. Uh, because, and that is true leadership, right? Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of your experience with that understanding that I mean, this is very personal to you because we're not talking that it's been so long <laughs> since your own experiences ago where you didn't have representation. Um, what has that been like for you kind of traveling that path and then reaching back to help others? Of course. 
By the way, Sarah, you do such a good job of asking deep questions. I love that. Um, And honestly, for me, um, a part of my journey when I was at South High School, that awesome assistant principal that I referred to, um, she um, asked me to serve on the equity team. And it was during that time that I was able to step into more leadership. Um, I am someone who is really quiet. I'm really, really passionate about listening and really listening for understanding. So I sometimes forget to speak up. Um, I remember when I worked at the University of Minnesota, I had this phenomenal African-American mentor colleague, and I she saw me in enough meetings where I did a great job listening, and I didn't speak up. And one day she took me aside and said, Salma, I need you to understand that your voice matters and that you have to say something, even if what you say is, okay, um, that's just commenting. She said, it matters that you take up space. Um, She told me to take up space. um, So when I stepped into South High School as the equity leader, I, um, through the support of Mercedes Reynolds, I pursued the opportunity to become an assistant principal as a K-12 administrator. And I remember just having this strong attachment to social work and feeling like, oh, my God, here I am. The kids need me and I want to be a leader. And I realized that everything was connected and that for me, stepping into leadership really meant being able to use my power and position to put more resources in programming like interpreting for our families. and just being able to show our young students that they can, that leadership isn't just for uh, one set of community, that they are leaders in themselves. Um, And for me, it really has been an opportunity to let my white folks know that my humanity and my love for young people is not just for Somali kiddos. It's not just for black and brown kids. I love all kids and that I can impact change and lead a building that's not all Somali children. And in one of the articles that you read, Sarah, I talked about the conversations that I had with amazing, amazing uh, principals. And when I asked them if certain districts were ready for a Muslim woman school leader, the response that I got was, yes, Selma, in the right building. Uh, And that is problematic. Every building should be the right building for any leader who is passionate about children. So, so much of what I've done really has been living authentically, just being my authentic self on uh, platforms like uh, Twitter. I have a 23-year-old brother who's just super tech savvy, and he said, Selma, I think you're misusing Twitter. You're not supposed to be posting your photos, selfies of yourself on Twitter. That's for Instagram. But for me, (laughs) I'm like, no, Musa, I'm combining everything on Twitter. Like Twitter has been a space where I can connect with leaders that look like me, with allies such as yourself, and really just step into leadership and grow in my leadership and join educational conversations um, whenever I have the time to as a, a busy parent, but really also creating that counter narrative about what does leadership look like. When I take a selfie in the morning and I put an inspirational quote, I'm not just you know taking a picture because I look nice. It's putting my image out in the universe and letting people know that this is 
is what leadership looks like. And leadership should reflect the communities that are diverse communities and that everybody should have the chance to be their best selves and to lead. Um, and, and just being able to just take up as much space as my mentor from a few years ago told me how important it is to have that voice and um, to be intentional about showing up and being present. I'm just over here trying to stay in my seat, listening to the passion in your voice come through as you start to speak, um, because I can feel it um, radiate through the microphone here. And I'm deeply inspired by you. And I have been for a while because that does matter. And I think about the idea of so many of us have these preconceived notions about what leaders look like. And in fact, I, in thinking about this, I always prompt people uh, to visualize a leader you know, what does that leader look like? And then we kind of peel apart what that might be. And, you know, you have so many different and beautiful intersection um, in your identity that those of us listening, we all have different intersections with our identity, whether it's our gender, our, um, you know, skin color, our culture, uh, how our families are made up, if we're parents or not, you know, there's a ton there. But very rarely uh, when people do this, when we conjure up an image, do they think of, first of all, female. <laughs> they tend to think of males first. And second, um, they don't think about uh, a person who's so beautiful and looks like you because that's not their archetype or their schema or whatever they have constructed in their mind. And so I do think it's so important that you continue this work. And um, please keep posting those selfies because they're beautiful. And they are inspirational. And you do you were made for this, I can see it and I can feel it. One of the things that I heard on your video that I wanted to peel apart, because I think this also ties to this idea of being there for every kid. And I love what you just said, too, by the way, about your representation matters to show individuals who need to see um, themselves in you. But it also matters for other people who don't look like you to see that representation so that we can have a holistic view. Right. Um but also that you that you're there for all kids, and I think I was really struck when I was watching your video and you were talking about where you grew up in low income housing and the internalizing that you did of those stigmas. Do you want to talk a little bit about that piece in your path? Of course, of course. Um, again, a lot of credit really goes to just the great work that Brene Brown has done and all of her writings. I've read every single book of hers and just really to that piece around like shame and guilt and guilt being, I did something bad and shame being, I am bad. I grew up in public housing. Um, my parents, when we lived in Somalia, we owned our own home. My parents owned businesses. We were thriving in Somalia. And because of the Civil War, we came to Minnesota and we had uh, social safety nets like public housing that afforded us the opportunity to live in dignity in a home that was ours. When my parents made uh, uh, money, the rent went up. And when my dad didn't have a job, the rent went down. Um, and I remember just growing up in public housing and just feeling it wasn't anything that schools did that made me feel less than, but it was just not having people that look like me, people like myself in positions of leadership, in positions uh, as staff who can affirm and validate my experience and say, yes, Salma, you are living in public housing right now. 
and this is not the end of your story, that you are amazing, that your worth is not tied to the job that your dad does or that your mom does, the fact that you're Hoyo, which means mom in Somali, that your mom can't speak English, none of that me makes you less than. And that's been something that I've been able to do for the kiddos at my work. Um, many of them actually live in the public housing uh, spaces that I lived in. And just letting them know, like, Auntie, I see you. Like, you're beautiful. You're amazing. You're going to go places and, like, appreciate Hoyo and appreciate Abel, uh, which means dad in Somali, and the hard work that they are uh, doing to provide for you. Um, so just creating a space where students can feel amazing about where they are and not feel less than like that's been part of my healing journey. And I wrote a bit about how I went on um, Google.com. I didn't really have to do this, but I found the Minneapolis public housing authority uh, page on Twitter, not on Twitter, but on uh, Google. And I left a review with my name and my picture and just writing a review about how, it was helpful for me to grow up in public housing and how uh, I am just appreciative of that experience to live in dignity. And that was part of my healing journey of like putting it out there, like um, accepting all parts of my story and letting the children know that I am success and that success is me and my start began in public housing. And in my talk, I also talked about having my niece and nephews come over. And they were really impressed with a home that I uh, own with my husband. And they said, Auntie, your house is like Kim Kardashian. (laughs) (laughs) This house is just, you know, it's, it's a great home. But for them, it was larger than life. And being able to show kids that yes, now I own my own home. However, my roots began uh, in public housing. And that is a big part of who I am. And that is a big part of my story. And it's a part that I share to normalize uh, hardship, because hardship is part of everybody's story, and it looks different. And um, just helping young people not be defined, or feel less than about not having some of the same opportunities as um, other uh, communities. That's so good. And I'm so glad that we got to cover that piece of it here on the podcast, because I know many of my listeners are in education. And when we think about diversity, equity, inclusivity, and all of the things that we use in terms of how we want to focus our efforts in serving the whole child, all children in our systems, I have to believe that there's still a lot of work to be done in mindset for educators. And you did such a good job of not placing it on the educational system, you know, and you've been doing such a great job of pointing out the people who were your champions and the, um, you know, the, the pieces along your path that helped you get to where you are. Uh, but we know that there are issues that remain there and the stigma that is associated with, you know, that. And so I just really appreciate you putting your face and your voice and your heart to this, um, because I, I do think it's important and not only in your own healing, but also just to continue to open up minds um, and kind of reverse some of that thinking. Yep, I agree. And, you know, there I think it's so important for educators, every educator to invest in um, reading Brene Brown's work, um, because the pre-work that goes into showing up and being uh, an educator is so important. Like we have to um, 
operate from a space of um, uh, enough, a, a space that is healthy, where we feel good about ourselves, where we are unpacking and engaging in our own healing. Um, and just know that we are the change that we need. And that as adults, too often, many, some of us choose to remain in shame and shame does not help growth. And what we need and what our young people need is adults who are willing to do that pre-work of really, really connecting and um, um, connecting with their inner child, connecting and healing from trauma. Everybody has trauma. It's not something that's unique to Salma Hussein, a 32 year old who escaped a civil war in Somalia. Every single person has trauma, and it's important that we invest the time and energy to heal from that trauma and to engage uh, as healthy beings who are invested in cultivating connection and joy and relationship, not for the sake of just work, but because that's the human thing to do. Sarah, when I worked at one of my uh, former schools, I remember really, really wanting to connect with some of my colleagues. And I remember seeing a staff person eating alone in the staff cafeteria. And I invited them to my house. Uh, this was a white male. And we had Ethiopian food. I'm not really much of a cook. I'm busy running around and doing a lot of youth work. Um, but we took uh, brought in takeout from an Ethiopian restaurant in uh, Minnesota. And we shared a really, really good meal. Um, and just that opportunity to be vulnerable, to build those connections. How do we normalize reaching out um, a lot of my colleague friends who are white, I ask them often, do you have friends that look like me? Do you invite individuals that are different to your house? It's one thing to say that you're about equity, that you've read how to be an anti-racist, but who are you choosing? Yeah, who are you choosing to spend time with when you have the choice? And making sure that people understand that equity work is a way of life, it's a way of being, and that there is space for all of us, the good in everyone, the true self in everyone really is good, powerful. And how do we just remember that we are all good people and we can always have space to be better and to be better for others and for ourselves. I could listen to you uh, honestly forever. And I love that you pointed the uh, very real piece out there that, uh, you know, we have to be willing to reach outside of our comfort and ourselves and you see one another's humanity. And it's more than just reading the book, um, especially educators. And we're trying to dig into that work and it takes vulnerability on everybody's part. If we're going to build the bridges, it takes our willingness, um, each of us, to engage in that and to be willing to say, you know, there's some biases here that I'm not even aware of yet. And I need to start uncovering those and peeling them apart and deconstructing this. And that takes a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, would you be willing to share on um, on the recording what you were sharing with me in a recent conversation just literally today? <laughs> Yeah, yes. Yep. Um, so yesterday I was in a leadership meeting for our district. Um, and it's a powerful uh, leadership opportunity that we have the principals, the system principals and everybody who has a leadership position. And um, we were talking about culturally responsive teaching and the brain. And I asked the question in the chat about how does whiteness impact the delivery of culturally responsive teaching and the brain? Um, and the person that was facilitating the conversation said, 
let's unpack that uh, Sama inviting me to a meeting um, and enough people said they wanted to be part of that conversation that today we were able to have a much needed conversation around how do we bring race into the conversation how do we name whiteness how do we talk about what needs to be talked about so we can move the dial on racial equity and that racial equity is not benefits everybody. Racial equity is not just about elevating black and brown voices. Racial equity is about healing and healing the whole community. So I'm really hopeful that we will be able to make the necessary changes to elevate and center uh, the voices that need to be centered and name race um, because race impacts all of us. Um, just today, Sarah, I was grabbing coffee from my neighborhood um, coffee shop, and there was an older white man who um, bought coffee for his wife. And um, growing up, I read all of the Nicholas Sparks books, so I am a hopeless romantic. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's so cute. He bought coffee for his wife. And as I was pulling out, I saw that he had Black Lives Matter and Natives Life Matter stickers on his car. So I rolled down my window and I said, sir, thank you so much for you know, for supporting Black lives and Native lives. And he said, thank you, um, miss, and I hope you have a good day. So for me, racial equity is about noticing people and letting them know that you see them and that small things matter and make a difference and allow people to have different experiences that invite them to reach out and to build connections with um, other who may not look like them. That example just cracked me up. Um, how you tie that to a Nicholas Sparks novel, <laughs> Romance with Getting the Coffee. That's so adorable. I honestly just made me laugh. Uh, and I really appreciate your um, just inviting that piece of your life and your work into the conversation because it's not um, – uh, your responsibility as a woman of color to engage in these conversations, but you do it. And I love that so much. You know, I don't want to put the onus only to ever talk about this when I have guests on that are, you know, passionate for equity. But the fact is that if we don't engage in the conversations and we don't allow others to hear the conversations and we don't invite people into them, we just continue with the status quo. And we know that's not serving our students. It's not serving the greater community that we live in. Mm. You know, you obviously have such a passion and a knowledge about this. And before we move off of it, would you just do me a favor? And since you asked the question about how whiteness plays into this, what is it that you find or that in your um, understanding, why is it so hard for white people to talk about race? You know, I am learning a lot um, about race. Um, but if I've learned anything from Brene Brown, I, I think why it's hard for many white people is because they um, turn to shame and they feel that when we talk about race and racism, we're talking about them being bad people. When for me, honestly, and a lot of people of color, we're talking about the systems. We're talking about um, the unearned privileges. Um, and I, I think if people can move away from shame and know that they are not bad people, that the good in everyone is good, wise, and powerful, that your humanity, you are good, and there are things that you can do to be better, to show up for people who don't look like you, and to make sure that you are uh, curious and questioning everything and not just taking things as they happen. Uh, so I think shame is the biggest ch um, challenge 
till healing and till talking about race. I knew you would knock that one out of the park. So wise. And I just appreciate your perspective so much. And I'm so sad that our conversation has to be over, (laughs) that we're coming to the end because I feel like I could talk to you forever. Um, Before I move into the two standard questions, would you just do me one more favor and indulge me this? You uh, self-noted that you're 32. um, And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this woman has so much good work that she's already done in this world. And I'm just curious, do you have visions for where your path will lead in the future and ultimately what you would like to have come out of this beautiful life of yours? Oh, that's such an awesome question. Um, And I'm still trying to figure that out. I know that I want to continue to forge uh, new paths for uh, future generations. I am currently pursuing my superintendent license. uh, And a few weeks ago on Twitter, I took a selfie before my superintendent class because I knew that I would be um, the only Muslim woman showing up in this space um, with the desire to become a superintendent in the future. Um, So for me, I want to be able to build connections with individuals of all backgrounds and to really, really cultivate joy and connection and representation in the field of education. Um, So that is my hope and uh, aspirations for the future to continue to make impact and to continue to build relationships relationships with those um, within my communities. I have zero doubt that you are going to make true on all of that. And there's so much left um, in this world for you to do. And I'm excited to watch it. And I'm so grateful to be connected. And I'm deeply grateful that I got to share you with the In Awe community on this podcast, because I can tell um, your trajectory with this path is going to be beautiful. Thank you. Okay, so I've got my two questions I need to ask you now. All right. So the first one is, if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? I would say that I am beautiful. I am amazing. I am wise and that I can do anything that I set my mind to, to keep going and to keep taking up space. Absolutely beautiful. And keep taking up space. That's right. (laughs) I love that. On a quick side note, listeners, if you haven't engaged in this idea about taking up space, it's something for uh, we speak about with, you know, gender studies, and we talk about with women kind of make themselves small. And I know that that's something that's been poured into you. And I and I'm thanking you for continuing to use that. It's not just your your physical use of space, but your use of space and all the different platforms. And I can't wait to keep that that watch that happening. (laughs) Um, how about this one? If listeners find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, what could you say to help them rise up out of it? I would say that they are the true self in them is good, wise and powerful, that your voice matters and your contributions matters. Um, speak up and find your people. I love that what you keep repeating. Will you do that for me one more time? Your true self is your true self is good, wise and powerful. And that is, um, that comes from the seven assumptions of restorative practices. The school that I'm at, Central High School, we are a restorative practices school. St. Paul Public Schools as a district is a restorative practice district. And I just love that so much, the first core assumption that the true self and everyone is good, wise, and powerful. That's beautiful. And thank you for threading it all throughout here. I can see that in you. And I'm just so grateful you've uplifted me in thinking about that too. So I'm going to be definitely thinking about that statement over and over and over again when I think of you. All right, my friends. So I know that listeners are going to want to be in touch with you and we've referenced Twitter. I'll make sure to link um, how to get in touch with you. But would you go ahead and tell listeners um, how they can find you and what would be the best way to engage with you after the interview? 
definitely. I really hope that you all engage with me via Twitter. Um, my handle is at Inspire the Youth. It's an account that I created when I was in high school, and <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it really is who I am. I, I want to inspire young people um, in every way possible. Um, so let's connect on Twitter. Well, I know that you're absolutely accomplishing that and that my listeners will do that for sure. Thank you so much, Salma, for being a part of this awesome interview and letting me share your voice with the community. Thank you. It's been a privilege. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.